0: I'm Christian. I'm an addict. Thank you, Brad. Um, So I've been asked to talk about step two. And just real quick so I can get this out of the way, because I've had more than one person ask me, like, why do you take notes? Or why do you you bring notes? Because some people don't. Some people are way cooler than me. My default position when I hit like a three-second pause or my brain goes blank is to just say that's all I got. So... To keep from ending this talk at 11 minutes, I brought notes. Um, So in step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I didn't. I didn't believe that. I didn't believe it at all. And I was told, that's nice. Let's just move on and keep going with the rest of it and see if we can find God along the way. Um, You know, I was broken. And I was told either you get to choose an alcoholic death or accept spiritual help. And I had to think about it. I wasn't really sure um, because my addict or alcoholic life had, had really become the only normal one for me. And I wasn't really sure what that would look like. Um, It was kind of like I was waiting for a third option at that point. So in step two, I really kind of feel like we're dealing with two main elements, God and my insanity, um, or what really looks more a lot like all my ideas that I think are outstanding at the time, and looking back, looks a lot more like insanity, um, you know, I was good, I had a really good childhood, um, Sabrina says I had the Mary-had-a-little-lamb childhood, um, my dad was my little league coach. I, I never had anything bad. My parents are still married. They're in their eighties. They've been married 60 years this year. Um, I just really liked being high and drunk. Um, I drank and used to cover up insecurities cause I felt like y'all were just, then you knew something about me that I didn't. Um, you knew a secret that I didn't. Um, you kind of felt sorry for me. So that's why you were letting me hang around. And when I drank and used that went away, Um, my definition of insanity would be doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same result, and expecting the next time it would be different. So my ideas kept not working. And I kept coming up with ideas of how I was going to beat this thing, or what I could do different, or what I could manipulate or tweak in the plan to win this time. So Growing up, life was very easy. I was good at school, I was athletic, I didn't hit, I didn't really have any consequences. I got a full scholarship to play baseball in college, talked to a couple of pro scouts, not very seriously, but I was pretty good, life was okay. Um, And I got hurt and baseball was done. And so my idea, when I'm faced with these huge decisions, was, okay, it's time to grow up and choose a career. And my decision was, well, I'm going to sell dope. Because logically, that's my best thinking leading me. Um, So I go on about this. I get a job, and I supplement my income selling drugs, and everything's okay, and my girlfriend gets pregnant. So what I say to myself is get a job, and grow up. And what I did was moved in with my connect, so I could get deeper into drugs and alcohol, or selling drugs. So this goes on for a couple of years, and another girl gets pregnant. And my sane voice, the little voice in my head, says, get a job, grow up. Only this time I'm adding, quit. For the first time in my life, I considered quitting everything. Um, what I did was I got a job and went to a pain clinic. Um, so that went along, and I'm keeping this job, and barely. I'm hanging on by thread. I'm selling pills, and she gets pregnant again. So the sane voice in my head says, hey, maybe you should quit and maybe consider wearing a condom at this point um but what I did was I got on methadone because that was really the best I could offer this is my insane thinking um so that goes on I'm selling pills doing really well um and I'm on methadone so I'm making a lot of money and everything should be okay based on the standards I'd set for myself I had a lot of money I had nice things and I was pissed off all the time um Anger was my drug. I was mixing cocaine and Xanax, which is like when you get woken up from a nap and you're real angry because you got woken up. Well, I kept waking myself up from a nap, mixing coke and Xanax, and I was pissed off all the time. It was like a one-man domestic disturbance. Um, so it wasn't very long before DCS got called. Um, so I told myself, that's it, I'm going to quit. said I'm done. So I got on Suboxone. Um... I managed to slip through the cracks a little bit. Um, The kids got taken away. We got them back. And I'm miserable. And imagine having that conversation with yourself. Like everything you had pinned your hopes on, these innocent children are returned to you, and you're miserable. Because I had told myself, everything will be okay once I get these kids back. And it wasn't. It wasn't at all. I was more miserable because nothing had gotten better. Because left with myself, which is what I was left with, I was angry and pissed off and miserable and couldn't understand why things didn't just magically get better. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office, Suboxone doctor, crying to him, literally crying, asking him, why aren't things better? Why, why am I still so miserable? And he looks at me and he's like, well, buddy, you've got two options. You can go on to the bitter end or you can expect spirit, ex- accept spiritual help. I'm just kidding. He put me on Prozac. Um, <laughs> so as you can imagine, it wasn't long before we lost them again. And this time there wasn't really, I was out of options. So my thinking was, I'm going to blot out the intolerable nature that is my existence with heroin. Um, Because all these great ideas I keep coming up with don't seem to be working. And you can imagine how that went. Um, So I sit in jail for 15 months, and I get out, And that wasn't enough to keep me sober. So I'm back on active addiction for like nine months. And at this time, I had burned my life to the ground. Um, Because I was too afraid to to sell drugs. I couldn't support my own habit if I was selling drugs. Um, it, It was out of control. I was literally burning my life to the ground. And about the second day, I'm laying in this hospital bed. And I realized I'm missing this party that was being thrown in my honor, except it wasn't a party. It was an intervention that I wasn't invited to. Um, My family drove from all across the country and decided they would present a united front against Christian. Didn't even bother to invite me to this intervention because they were so done with me that they were like, we don't even care if he's here. I'm dying in a hospital bed and I had... So burnt up that relationship with all of them that they were just done. And I couldn't die, and I couldn't get sober, and I didn't know what to do. And oh, by the way, here comes another baby. And I gave up. Completely gave up. And the minute I gave up and said, I have no reservation or lurking notion how I am about to beat this. It was like opportunities started falling in front of me. Um, I got forced, kind of, to come here to a meeting. I was actually walking into a church service, and this lady's on the phone saying, leave right now, leave 10 minutes early while they're still singing, drive across Knoxville and come to this meeting. It's about to be your home. And I get here, and at that time, years ago, we fit in that room. There was like 15 people, and people are talking about how great their life had become, and how they don't struggle with drugs and alcohol anymore, and they're talking about stuff that matters. They're talking about God, and they're talking about the steps, and they're not bitching about their job or their relationships. And it was like I had this epiphany real quick, didn't last very long, and I was like, I want some of that and it was like that first little inkling of hope that I got it only lasted a few minutes but I was like I'm going back there so I had given up I wasn't sure what to do I did you know I had no ideas so I kept hearing get a sponsor work the steps and so that's what I did so I start going through this book and I'm like oh that's about me I had read it like four or five times and wasn't really sure what it was talking about, but I was like, I felt like that. I drank like that. I used like that. I did that. And I wasn't really sure how it was supposed to be working, but I knew that it was about me, and that's all I knew at that point. So I'm through step one in the book at this point, and I'm powerless, and I see that, and I'm hopeless, and I'm broken, completely broken just can't I can't look you in the eye when I see people I just look down I'm so full of shame that I'm like a corpse I just walk in and out but I know this book is about me so I know there's something at work here and my sponsor gets to page 52 in the book and has me read this and this is smack dab in the middle of step two And it says, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. And my sponsor looked at me and said, I want you to answer these. These are statements, but I want you to read them as a question. Were you having trouble with personal relationships? And I was like, yeah, everybody's an asshole. Are Are you able to control your emotional nature? No, because everyone's an asshole. Or are you prey to misery and depression? Well, yeah, everyone's an asshole. Could you make a living? No, because my boss was an asshole. <coughs> Did you have feelings of uselessness? No, I didn't really have a, a retort to that. The answer was yes. Yes, I feel useless all the time. Are you full of fear? Well, yeah, all the time. Are you unhappy? Well, yeah, all the time. And then my sponsor flipped over to page 84. Said, now I want you to read this and tell me if this sounds good to you. We have ceased fighting anything and anyone, even drugs. And I wanted to cry because I was so tired of fighting. I was just so broken. I had no fight left in me. And immediately, it didn't matter what was said after that? I was tired of fighting. And that sounded really good to me. But it went on. For this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in drugs. If tempted, we recoil from a hot, as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We find this has happened automatically. And I was like, if you can give me that, I'll do anything you say. And I literally told my first sponsor, if you tell me, that I need to run down merchants in high heels in a thong with a 120 hanging out of my mouth, I'll do it. Just show me where it is in the book first. And, and I was because I was so hopeless. I was so hopeless, and I started getting hope. And it was like I wasn't happy about the hope. It pissed me off. And, and, I, and I stopped my sponsor. And at the time, this lady, she, it was a lady, she was a sponsor, and she was from Detroit. She was a book thumper, and I'm so thankful for that. And I said, let me stop you. You don't understand my story. I have lost children. I have sold dope to people that have died. I have ruined my family. I have pawned everything I own. I pawned my truck, not the title. I said, keep the truck. My dad went out to mow the grass, and I had pawned his lawnmower. Like... I pawned their wedding rings off their fingers. I have so much shame in me that it's pissing me off that you're giving me hope. So this is what I'm going to tell you, and I really said this. I said, listen, I don't think there's any hope for me, but if you tell me this works, I will do exactly as you say, and I will learn that book, and I will apply that book, and when it doesn't work, I'm going to kick your door in, and I'm going to shoot you in the face. And then I'm going to put a bullet in my head. And she looked at me and said, all right. I didn't know what to do at that point. I'm like, this lady's way more gangster than me. And she was that confident. I wasn't confident. And that's why I say I don't need you to believe in step two. I need you to do. Let's find God along the way. Let's do it with the rest of the program because if you had waited for me to really believe in all this at step two, I'd still be in step two because I'm going to constantly question. And right after the murder threat, it occurred to me maybe God didn't run out of grace the minute before I walked in the door. Because that's how I was looking at it. I was looking at it as if that's fine for y'all, but eh, eh. He might have to think a couple minutes about me. See, she says, okay, well, let's move on. And I'm like, okay, I got to find God. Where's God? Should I look for him? What should I do? And then it occurred to me Right about the time, it occurred to me that I am not awesome. See, I had told myself my whole life, I'm awesome. I just need to get detoxed. Just let me get detoxed where I don't need dope every day, and then I'm awesome. Except for that I had this track record of burning my life to the ground. But I kept telling myself, I'm awesome. I am awesome. I'm winning at life. Couldn't keep a job. Couldn't pay bills. Couldn't be a parent. Couldn't be a son, couldn't be a friend, but I'm awesome. Just let me get detoxed. So I had this epiphany. Maybe I'm not awesome. And we get to page 53, and I'm like, okay, I'm not awesome. I, what, just tell me what to do. And we get to this paragraph, and it says, When we became addicts, crushed by a self-imposed crisis. And, and she said to me, was this self-imposed? And I said, Yeah, I mean, nobody did it to me. Said we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is or He isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. And she took the book and she handed it to me. I didn't know what was happening. And so we sit there awkwardly for a minute. I'm like, What? She's like, Make a choice. Is God going to be everything or is God going to be nothing? And think about that for a minute. If there is a God, if there is a God, something that created all of this and me and you and everything, how insane does that make me to put him in like fourth or fifth place? Like we're talking about the creator of the universe, and I think he's going to slide in right after basketball and my girlfriend. And so she told me, your instructions at this point are make God everything. And she said, and now I want you to look at this a second way. I want you to look at it as a God is in everything. God is in everything. God is in me. God is in you. God is in this meeting. God is in the details. God is in the choices you make. God can spin it. He took into account my stupidity. He will spin it. He's in the decisions. So either God involves himself or he doesn't. And so either God will help you or he won't. So let's go find out. Let's go do this thing. Around this time in the book, Bill starts sliding in these subtle hints. Hey, maybe you ought to check out Appendix 2. He says it twice at the bottom of the page, which he doesn't say things twice. So I was like, maybe I should read that. And it's like the answer at the back of the book. You remember those multiple choice tests you used to take when you were a kid, and you could always flip to the back and find the answer? That's what this is. It's the answer at the back of the book. And it says, well, what is a spiritual experience? What is a spiritual awakening? And it says it's a profound alteration in my reaction to life, a complete displacement and rearrangement of of emotions and ideas. So I had to realize I'm not awesome. I had to start looking at things a little differently. And as I went along with the program, the more I learned about myself, the more I realized my need for God in this program. Because at this point, like, everything was a power greater than me. Everything. The meeting, the program, y'all, my sponsor. There wasn't anything I could name that wasn't a power greater than me. So just follow instructions. And we'll be okay, is what I was told. Just do it. You'll be all right. And so it was very quick that I started recognizing these things in the back of the book. I'm looking at things differently. I used to sit in the back of the room, and I would be like, this asshole, like, that'll never be me. I remember sitting in treatment nine times and thinking, I'll never be that dude. Probably be pretty cool, but I'm never going to be that. And it's not hard. The difference was is I was never willing to do what they did. So, it's step two, I like to ask sponsees, do you believe this works for me? Do you believe I really do this? And if so, do it. If you want what I have, do what I do. And I never... I never had any of this awareness at step two. I picked it up with the unraveling of of me through the step process. It never was something that like, okay, check, step two. It was, am I insane and am I willing to be willing? Am I just willing to be willing? Because I wasn't willing to believe a whole lot at two but I was willing to be willing. I was willing to do it because I had no other options. That was all it took for me. I didn't have a problem with God. I felt like God was just... had run out of time to waste on me. But I was willing to take instructions because it seemed to be working for other people. It said, These people... Y'all sure seem to be not obsessing about dope. And all I did was obsess about dope. So you were a power greater than me, so just tell me what to do. And that was enough at two for me. So if, if you don't believe at step two, do it anyway. Do it anyway. See what happens along the way. I like to say, I heard a speaker one time say, this is not magic. It's footwork. So Listen, I know this was short, but that legit, even with my notes, is all I have. Um, Step two is kind of hard for me to talk about for an hour, but I really appreciate Brad asking me to do this, and thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or follow and look out for more episodes coming soon.